call for all of us to recognise and acknowledge the fact of occupation, to rethink the received colonial settler narrative. Justice with Toowoomba. Hello and welcome to Deadly Justice for this fortnight. Uh, we have a very special guest on who will be co-hosting my show with me. It's Eliana and Eliana's been on a few shows before and she's helped me co-host another show. Um, so we're really lucky to have Eliana on again. Um, how are you going Eliana? Um, I'm going well, thanks. Thanks for having me too. Awesome. So this week we're going to be talking about a topic that's actually really kind of close to our hearts because we deal with a lot of clients and people around town in the Kimberley who, who struggle with this issue. It's it's basically what the main issue is, you know, public housing and the, the air conditioning. So air conditioning not being provided in public housing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it becomes an issue because we live in the hottest climate area in Australia mm-hmm. and it can become really extreme during our wet season mm-hmm. and um, basically it can cause all kinds of health and mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so so people are living in environments that is just so extremely hot and then have to then buy their own air conditioners mm-hmm. rather than having air conditioner provided in their in public housing in their own houses. So do you want to talk a little bit more about that, Eliana? Well, uh, as a newcomer to the Kimberley, I arrived in wet season last year. And, yeah, obviously uh, the weather in the Kimberley is extreme in terms of heat and humidity, especially in, in wet season. And I I think by doing home visits with my clients, I work with older, mostly with older people who are Aboriginal as well, and realizing that uh, air conditioning is not considered an essential item item by public housing. So people uh, often have to purchase uh, the air uh, air conditioners themselves, and they experience a lot of issues by not having an air conditioner. So the extreme heat causes a lot of, f- exacerbates a lot of physical conditions, uh, mental health as well. So we, we have been quite interested in this in this topic, topic. And now the Kimberley Community Legal Services is preparing a submission to the uh, Residential Tenancy... Residential Tenancies Act, yeah. The Tenancies Act. Uh, so we are preparing a uh, submission on this. We think that air conditioning should be an essential, considered an essential item in public housing. Yeah, right. And and especially with the clients, like you said, that you work with, are older people. So these are people that are probably taking medication, which needs to be kind of, you know, works well when it's in a certain temperature. It's also people that um, have you know, lots of medical conditions possibly mm. that can be exacerbated mm. by um, climate and heat. And, yeah, look, it's an issue because, like, everybody needs air conditioning in wet season up here. It's damn hot to be sitting in a in a, in a a house with four walls and, like, you know, not much airflow. It's mm. ridiculous, you know. Mm. We're all, like, running, rushing for air conditioning here, you know. It's mm. full on. 
and um and yeah it should it should definitely be an essential an essential thing in public housing and we expressed interest with a few people before we decided to air this show mm. and you know your your client advocates in Kananara who mm. work with you on mm. your elder abuse stuff have expressed that they believe that this is an issue and they've provided us with numerous case studies mm. do you want to talk a little bit about about those yeah i think their case studies speak for themselves so I believe we have a couple and I could uh, I could sort of read them out and I think they speak for themselves. So one of ca- the case, stu- case studies is about, a, this is an, a pseudonym, is not her real name. So uh, Miranda is a 24-year-old Aboriginal woman who lives in Kananara. Miranda is a single mom of two children a daughter who is three and a baby son who is one. Miranda is originally from Kananara, but has spent the last few years in Broome before fleeing back here because of violent ex-partner. Miranda moved into her three-bedroom house in July 2019. She, she likes the house and open-plan living areas, but there was no air conditioning in the house. As a young mom whose sole income is the parenting payment, Purchasing appropriate air conditioning would be very financially difficult. Uh, Miranda decides to apply for a, a loan called uh, the NILS loan. This stands for non, Non-Interest Loan Scheme. And you usually get these loans when you want to purchase white goods like a fridge or a washing machine or esen- you know, essential items. This this needed to apply and manage a loan to afford air conditioning during the hottest time of the year. Uh, the wet season or, you know, there's even a hotter time in, they call, they refer to it as the built-up time, mm. don't they? Yeah. Uh, Miranda and the client advocate contacted their uh, needs provider and began gathering all the relevant documents she needed to apply, uh, as well as scheduling budgeting appointments with the needs provider. It took a couple of months to collate all the information, all the documents, and clarify eligibility for this loan. So they obtain a quote from um, a local shop for a reasonably sized air conditioning that would suit her large living area. The the living area included the open kitchen and they also had to consider, you also have to consider the fact that when you cook, that will increase the temperature of the the space. Yeah. So they they got a quote for $850 uh, air wow. conditioner. They're there. not cheap. Jeez. No, not at all. Mi- Miranda eventually applied for and was f- successful to get the, the, the large unit, the air conditioning, and also one for wh- where she sleeps because that's the issue as well. People need one for the living spaces as well as air conditioning uh, in, the, in their bedrooms. Yeah, well, yeah, sleeping in cool is definitely mm. something that's important, yeah. So the issue is that, uh, well, you buy the stuff, but then you have to pay a handyman to install it properly. So ah. she recruited the help of family members, but, uh, which is really resourceful, I, I, I guess. But is it, is it going to be installed properly? Right. Now, the, there is, as a result, Miranda has to repay the, 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 the Neil's loan. And when she leaves the property, she also has to re- re- remove, remove the unit. Remove the air conditioner. Because right. if she doesn't remove it, the public housing will charge her, I believe, about $2,000 to remove the unit. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 
So that that happens. That's quite so. That's quite often. I, I this is like a case study, and 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 it's it's quite common. It happened to an older client of mine as well. He was wasn't able. His his health is quite frail. He wasn't able to to get a good quality sleep, and he got so desperate. He didn't want to get alone, but then he had no choice. And then he ended up installing this box air conditioner, which is much more expensive to run that the split system. So people, uh, clients or, or people will often go for the cheaper option, but the issue is that they are more expensive to run. So I've had this discussion with actually with another person in town, a friend of mine who mm. is also also a social worker mm. like yourself. Mm. And um and she she said that she deals with lots of participants with um with multiple disabilities, mm. and uh, and health conditions and um they've been told that you know by Department of Housing that they need to install their own air conditioning in their home, mm. and she thinks that it's just absolutely horrible to watch people already doing it tough with serious mm. health issues mm. enduring ridiculous temperatures. This mm. is what she says, with no one really to advocate. Mm. for them and you know that that she just she's really kind of appalled with with the fact that mm. you know air conditioning is not essential and look this is you know think of people who live remote in the middle of the desert and it's bloody hot there's nothing you know in broom like i mean yes it's tough but but we can we can go to a shopping center and there's air conditioning around mm. right i mean you don't want to be spending all day in a mm. shopping center but not ideally, no. <laughs> no, no. But, I mean, you shouldn't have to, yeah, regardless. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. You should be able to have that comfort in your home. Mm. But I just think about people in, you know, back in my community where there is literally nowhere that mm. you can escape that heat. You can sit down under a tree and wait for the wind to blow and, mm. you know, there's there's nowhere to escape heat. And, um, you know, later on we talked to Chris and Sam mm. from Mali Family Care mm. and, you know, they've done a whole report on this stuff in, where was it, Mar- Murray, Murray River in Victoria? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so you know, they, they talk a lot about these issues over there and, um, you know. Which what, are very similar to the issues that we, uh, people in the, living in the Kimberley in extreme heat and humidity conditions experience. Yeah. And look, it's really hard to get things done. I remember um, I was helping a client, an older client, fix up his house before an inspection by public housing. And uh, I went there and I went there about one o'clock and I was trying to help with the cleaning and stuff. It was just unbearable. It was really unbearable to do any light physical work in those conditions they had a box air conditioner running all the time but because uh, the house is not well insulated you know the the little bit of cool was escaping through all the gaps and then you had to basically stand you know by right the, next, by, to, right the next to it to, to feel some relief yeah and i was like because i think i guess we are also privileged that we don't understand how lucky we are to have access to air conditioning well, exactly you know we come to work every day and we chuck the air conditioner on and yeah. we sit in the office in the air conditioning you know yeah we're so lucky and we get home as well and we just turn that on and we take it for granted but we don't realize how people who live five minutes from within where we live like in Broome, which is a, sp- a small place we we don't realize how other people have to live, you know, for six months of the year in the dry season, in the uh, in the wet season. 
Yeah, well, and then you also take into consideration the fact that lots of people don't have transport in Broome and so they're walking to and from things yeah. and when they get home, there's no rest for them because they're still no. bloody hot trying to cool down after their walk and it's like there's nothing... Yeah, a lot of them don't have uh, a car so they rely on on walking and, and cycling to get to places and uh, when I again, when I first got to town, I was doing a lot of cycling and yeah it's, it's really unbearable like like, like you, you cycle really short distances for 10-15 minutes and you are really sweaty and tired so it's, it's really you know the way they have to live like if they are at home they are sort of is unbearable because it's so hot if they they need to go to any place because they don't have a car again they just it's really difficult to, to walk to places in, in that weather mm. yeah what I what I'm really interested in is in this report mm. is um, they talk a lot about um, you know the, their research on mm. the medical mm. kind of like physiological effects that that mm. heat has on people. So they talk about um, you know people who are taking med- medication and like I mentioned earlier, it can have lots of effects on um, you know how your medication how effective your medication is because for lots of medication to work, your body temperature needs to be a certain you know, temperature. Hmm. And then so if you're taking medication and you're living in such extreme heat, it's hmm. going to alter how effective that medication is. And then also things like what they say is sleep, you know. They hmm. talk about how important sleep is um, in, uh, and they say what temperature it is, I forget. But, yeah. um, you know, what temperature is prime for being able to sleep in. And so when you're sleeping in an environment that's way too hot, you can't sleep. And so the next day you're exhausted. So the next day you're grumpy. And then, you know, long term it starts to have effects on your mental health, mm. depression, anxiety, stress, you know. So, you know, you can just imagine what, especially more vulnerable, frail clients that you're dealing yeah. with and, you know, the people that kind of come into our work, very vulnerable clients, mm. You can imagine the kind of long-term stress mm-hmm. and anxiety and depression that comes from just something like installing a damn air conditioning. Yeah, and I think that's why we thought, um, I think Chris uh, and, and Sam at family, uh, Mali Family Care are leading the, the work in this sort of area. And obviously you'll find more out as the you know episode progresses because we they will be telling us uh, about the impacts and the effects of extreme heat for for people, especially people living in public housing. Yeah, look, mm. and, and look, the the next step for them is, and we talk about it, um, is lobbying and and um, you know, looking for kind of what kind of legislative and policy mm. change mm. um they can kind of push for. Mm. So I think it's something that we definitely need to to be on top of and mm. and pushing for up here because, like I said, you know, it's bloody hot. <laughs> and, and especially yeah, and especially because in the Kimberley, most of the tenants in public housing are people from Aboriginal backgrounds. So you, we are furthering disadvantaged people. Yeah. And and something to me is so simple, like installing an air conditioning. Like, how difficult is that? Yeah. And we talk about closing the gap all the time. What, how are we going to do this? This is a very practical way of giving people a better quality of life. Yeah. Start from the ground up, you know. Yeah. Put an air conditioner <laughs> in. Then you don't have to deal with... Well, I mean, then you have less chance of dealing with things like long-term. Mm. Blah, blah, blah. You have one thing that you can kind of begin with mm. to affect everything else yeah mm. i think it's look it's super important mm. and it's something that um obviously me and eliana are very passionate mm. about and um yeah housing is something that i'm definitely passionate about mm. and um and working with older people is as eliana's passion so look 
we think it's very important. Um, we're going to take a little break now and we're going to listen to a song. We'll be listening to, in the theme of, um, of our show, we'll be listening to uh, Hot and Cold by Katy Perry. So uh, enjoy. Welcome back to Deadly Justice for this week. 
we will be talking to Chris and Sam, who uh, work for Mally Family Care, yes. Um, and they have been working on a report um, and some info and some research on extreme heat driven by the climate emergency and the impacts on health and well-being in public housing. Um, and this report talks a lot about the effect that heat has on people's physical health, mental health, um, and a whole lot of other factors. And it's really interesting and something that definitely applies up here in the Kimberley uh, because we live in such an extreme climate and, look, creates a huge issue for a whole lot of people all over Australia. Um, so how are you going, Chris and Sam? Yeah, hello. Hello. So, did you want to give us a little bit of a, a little bit of a rundown about what what the work you do and um, how, how you guys kind of came about doing that work? Sure. Okay. So, um, my role is general manager of a particular directorate at Mallee Family Care called Education, Training, and Research. And um, a lot of what we do in this directorate is around community development, but also around delivering some of the things that we identify in terms of advocacy and gaps and that our board are concerned about. So for us, the issue around our families living in public housing without air conditioning in Mildura in extreme heat, and we can talk about that later, we really feel that it's a, a breach of human rights. And so our board, for probably since 2013, we've been working on developing some sort of evidence so that we could commence our lobbying to government to have either a place-based initiative or a complete change of policy. And Sam has a different role. <laughs> so uh, my role within the organisation is policy and research. Um, so I came aboard late last year uh, and the bulk of the, the work had been done and the research had been finalised. Um, so I'm assisting in the advocacy phase and the lobbying phase. The board here has recognised that advocacy needs to form part of their strategic plan, um, which is fantastic for an organisation such as this. And so my role is to write on broader um, issues that are affecting those that we assist, um, whether it be homelessness, family law, family violence or anything of that nature, and make submissions to government on behalf of our organisation and the people we represent. So hopefully that will bring some change and it gives voice to those that we help. That sounds really awesome. And the, and the work you're doing, Sam, that, that's, um, that's really important. Look, all of it's really important. But I think, um, you know, we, we do a lot of policy um, work as well. And, um, you know, we really value being able to take the information from the ground and then take it up higher and I think um, I think that's really really cool stuff that you're doing so did you want to tell us a little bit about the nitty-gritty and what the report was all about sure sure so after we found amazing partners which was the University of Sydney in the public school of health we thought about how we're going to go about evidencing the negative impact on our families we, we also had support from some peak bodies in Victoria called VCOS, and, which is the Victorian Council of Social Services, and VICTAR, which is the Victorian Public Housing 
I get, always get this wrong, girl. Grand Public Tenants Association. Yes, yeah. And so once we knew we needed to evidence what was going on, we divided the research up into elements. So one of the elements that we needed to confirm, what is the actual data saying about our weather? How extreme is extreme and has it changed? And you'll hear this conversation occurring no matter where you go about whether we have climate change. And so this was not about getting into that argument, but actually demonstrating the extreme weather that our families um, in Mildura, and we call it the Mali, which is along the Murray River. And um, so we set about looking at data that was based around 20 years. So just in a nutshell, what came out of the research around the data was that 20 years ago, our sort of summer period started in mid-December and finished in mid-February. And the summer that includes this report, which was last year's summer, the 18-19 summer, demonstrated that our heat waves here in the Mallee, and a heat wave here is any temperature above 34 for more than three days, so it started at the start of November and would finish at the start of April. So first of all, it demonstrated that our weather is longer and the temperatures were hotter over a longer period. Probably the most alarming thing about the weather was the nighttime temperature. So we, you know when you see on the weather on the news, they give a minimum temperature and the Bureau of Meteorology takes that temperature at 6am. So we asked the Bureau to supply us the temperatures at midnight because that is when people are trying to sleep. So what we found out, and if I can just say, the World Health Authority tells us for sleeping... The temperature needs to be between 17 and 23. For us, in that last summer, there were at least 12 nights at midnight that were over the temperature of 30. And that's outside. So it just shows the problems that people spoke about when we did the focus groups around they just cannot sleep in their homes that night. One of the other things we did was looking at the policies around the country and then focusing on our own in Victoria. There's a couple of things there that were scary for us. The contract between the state, who's the landlord, and our public housing tenant says that their duty of care is around providing habitable accommodation. Our argument is such that our families tell us that they're not sleeping in their houses at night. They're actually out in the street or the backyard because it's just too hot to sleep. So we're saying for us, we're saying it's inhabitable. Um, the and then up- that, that creates then sorry, also... Go. No, no, sorry. I'm just saying that also creates then issues where, where people are unsafe sleeping outside, mm. you know? Exactly. And that's what they spoke of. They spoke about increased rates of crime Mm. at two or three in the morning, young kids walking around without parental supervision. 
on school nights and uh, increased alcohol use, which led to increased fights, which led to increased attendance by police. And then because they're not sleeping at night, the flow-on effects occur the next day. So people can't attend mm -hmm. their appointments. So if, if people had a Centrelink appointment, for example, they wouldn't rock up and then their payments would be stopped. Mm. But people who had medical appointments wouldn't also attend their counselling mm. or medical, and so their health would deteriorate. Yeah, and there was an important I, I, finding uh, in your report about educational disadvantage, which I guess links yeah. up with the effects of not being able to, for the kids, uh, going to school the next day who had a really poor sleep. C can you tell us more about that? Yes, we can. So what the families told us, and specifically parents, because we have um, spoken to teachers since then who've confirmed this. So the information from our families and their voices match what teachers and principals are saying. So the families told us, one, they wouldn't be able to get their young person up for school if they were able to fall asleep. But if they did get them off to school, um, that the teachers then told us there were a couple of things happening. Sometimes the child would find their way to the sick bay in order to sleep during the day. But we subsequently also found out that one particular school in our area actually has a couch in their room because it's standard in summer for a child to go and just go straight onto the couch and just sleep. So they may turn up. They turn up to school to sleep. Mm -hmm. So they're falling further behind. Mums um, and families with complexities who aren't coping or they have a mental illness, there's family violence, may not have the energy or the motivation to actually, you know, rally the kids up and get them to school. Either. So there's this flow-on effect. What other impacts uh, did you find? I mean, you speak about physical and mental health impacts. Could, could you tell us more yeah. about that? Yeah, so a couple of things here, and I'll just touch back on what the Victorian policy says. And when we did the um, scoot around Australia around this too, Only a couple of states have the avenue to apply for a medical exemption to get public housing to put an air conditioner in. Mm -hmm. And that is for medical reasons, right? But what we were told around that, the actual ability to have that granted was extremely hard. And one family actually shared with me that they had a, a doctor's report a psychologist's report and a social worker's report and their application for an exemption to get a, um, air conditioning was rejected. Wow. And then she was having to jump through more hurdles to appeal and that was impacting on her health. So um, a couple of families spoke about very, um, it was quite an honour to hear these people's story too, mm -hmm. by the way. I, I bring the gift of their voice, so we see ourselves as that vehicle mm -hmm. uh, rather than researchers. Mm -hmm. So I'm representing their voice today. So, sorry. <laughs> so I always get upset when I say that, but it needs to be said. Mm -hmm. 
One of the things around their mental health is the medication. I think, Tallulah, you're very interested in this. Yeah, is yeah. In, with the body, um, people who are taking specific medications for their mental health have to actually have um, the temp- their body temperature at a certain temperature. And when our body heats up, they're taking medication that's actually having the opposite effect that should be happening for their medication. Right. And so, so that was that's why in a, a, a negative impact. So it wasn't, it could um, spiral down so the depression would get worse or their thoughts of suicide. Mm. Uh, but also the other thing, family shared, they were on the verge of or had depression before or not coping with life, other complexities. That often was the trigger for a rebound um, of their mental illness, so depression, um, anxiety, um, and and I can't believe people were so generous to share with us that they actually could acknowledge that they couldn't parent mm. and that they were getting grumpy and mm. they knew that they were hitting the children when they shouldn't have. Um, and, they, yeah, they share this because they... Um, just want people to know how bad it is. But also a huge, a cry for help, you know? Mm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's really, really, you know, I just think, you know, it's so interesting that these, like, something that you just don't kind of pinpoint you know, medication of all things and, and then what, it becomes ineffective and then, yeah, like Correct. I said, an opposite effect and it's just like, you know, the tiniest thing like an air conditioner really makes the biggest yeah. difference. Absolutely. Um, and the other thing is one one adult told me she recalls one day she was just sitting in the shower with the shower on because she just couldn't cope with the world so mm. hot mm. and... Some of the policy here in Victoria talks about on extreme weather days, we get alerts. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if you get alerts in WA about the weather. And they, they say to people, get to a public place that has cooling. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of our families, they're living in public housing that's on the fringe of our infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So to physically get to somewhere where there's really good air conditioning, they'd probably be cooked by mm. the time they walked there. You know, they don't mm. have transport and we have poor transport. So just to alert people and tell them to get somewhere cool is not sufficient. Yeah, look, this is definitely an issue up here, you know. Lots of people living in remote Aboriginal communities. Public areas and public spaces don't exist. You know, you've got a tiny yeah. little community store that's open for a few hours a day. And then what? So I remember as a kid, I remember as a kid cleaning out a wheelie bin and filling that up with water and just sitting in a wheelie bin for hours at a time full of water. And another one, a deep freezer. We used to fill up an old deep freezer full of water and, you know, three, me and two others would just sit in this deep (laughs) freezer all day because it was just so hot. Yeah. 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 Another family told us um, it was a father who looked after his daughter in public housing he, he would get the blow-up pool and fill it with cold water. He'd put the blow-up pool in the lounge room and then fill it with water and put ice blocks in. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and sit yeah. in there with his 
little toddler. So, like, some of these stories, mm-hmm. you know, and then other people having multiple those ineffective pedestal stands, you know, like, mm-hmm. say, three in a room and everyone piled into one room trying to sleep overnight and then that gets everyone cranky mm. and then family fights and or if one of the family members did for whatever reason have air conditioning the word would get around town and then all of these people would try and come and stay and that also caused problems mm. so yeah there's sort of this flow mm. on effect another yeah. another area i'm interested in is the financial costs for people Uh, I understand yeah. that uh, some people might be able to purchase really cheap air conditioners. Usually they are yeah. the, the square ones and yeah. those are really expensive to run. Uh, can, can you Correct. tell us uh, if you, there are any find it, findings related to this in, in, your, in your research? Yeah, so there's nothing that I think we've reported in writing other than I'll tell you why. It's because even those are ineffective in our weather. So we have temperatures in the high 40s mm-hmm. um, and those little um, box units mm-hmm. for the pedestal stands are inefficient. So a lot of the families won't use them mm-hmm. because they move outside or down by the river. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's how they escape it. Some of the narrative from perhaps government is around the cost the added cost to families if they were to have air conditioning. Mm. There's two things we'd like to say around that is that, well, firstly, like heating, they, they can create a concession for families to help with the cost of it. The second thing we'd like to say, the burden and cost, if you want to put it in economic terms, of families who have breakdowns mental health, un- unable to get the kids to school or seek employment is far more expensive than putting in air conditioning. Mm-hmm. One more thing about the policy before I forget, because you guys might be interested, um, is around um, in New South Wales, mm-hmm. we found a precedent that the mm-hmm. Office of Aboriginal Housing universally supplies air conditioning because they acknowledge the impact that extreme heat has on families. Mm-hmm. And they're in an area that is an isotherm 33 and Muldura, LDA, um, sits either there or higher. Wow. So we feel that a precedent's been set and maybe that's something you guys need to look yeah. at. Yeah. Give you some um, geographical background. We're talking mm-hmm. about an area where, so the Murray River separates Victoria and New South Wales, whereby in Mildura, this policy obviously doesn't apply, but you go across the bridge and you're in New South Wales where public housing is afforded air conditioning. So it just, it, it wow. makes no sense. Um, it's absurd. So, yeah, um, so geographically, it's all basically the same climate and... Heat and but exactly. there are yeah. state boundaries, right. and in one state you have the the policy, the president, which I believe yeah. is the first one in in, in in the country, and then in Victoria yeah. you you yeah. Mm. Wow, really yeah. interesting. I think there's like something else I'm interested in is 
Um, and look, I was thinking about this. I'm not sure, it, you know, I'm not sure how we go about it, but the kind of um, design of a house. So how, why are houses being designed in a way that, you know, traps heat or why aren't we building houses in a way that, um, you know, allows for free-flowing air to come through and to, you know, trap cool in, in the house? Like, um, I think that's... Yeah. Yeah, one one thing that I was interested in as well, you know, making making yeah. public housing much more um, suitable. Correct. Yeah, great. I, I was just going to say on that point too. Also, we know that there is a deficit in social housing. So, mm. um, I, I can't speak to years, but I am unaware of when the most recent public housing was built um, in Mildura. Um, mm. And I understand that we would need to, in Victoria, build 6,000 public housing or social housing, rather, a year for 10 years to make the deficit of the waiting list at the moment. Oh, so wow. houses aren't being built in the first place. So it's not so much about making homes more livable in that regard. It's about dealing with the situation as is because there won't be you know, any new builds, so to speak. Yeah, right. Wow, that's full on. Now that we have spoken about some, some of the findings, uh, could could you talk about the recommendations that you are making? Yeah, which then probably leads us into, Sam, um, from the research, essentially, we do focus on um, a call to the government to look at things from a place-based, meaning look at our... If, if a community is in extreme heat, to adjust the requirements for the housing for that. Um, but alongside that, we believe this is a basic human right for other communities too who live in extreme heat. And it should be looked at across Australia, but we would like the Victorian policy changed. We did in our recommendations call for an urgent action to looking at the medical exemption review um, and we have summer coming and um, there will be people who make their application. Um, the other thing we mentioned, we did talk, and I said this earlier about um, the need to have a concession set up for summer for the extreme heat if they install air conditioning. There is effective um, split systems that inverters that do quite well in our environment and are more um, efficient and um, probably are the better cost effectiveness. And um, yeah, so I think that was they were the main points. And just from a, a policy advocacy point of view, so we sort of came up with an ask, so to speak. So mm. um, our ask is pretty general. It's just the installation of air conditioning in all public housing in our catchment area. Mm. Um, obviously, that can be twofold. That can either be through legislative change um, or just a um, narrower policy um, change um, mm. through the goodwill of the government. So... That's what, what we're pursuing. Um, there have been a number of programs that the Victorian government have implemented from an energy efficiency climate change perspective. So one of them was, I might get this incorrect, but I think it was the Energy Smart, energy smart Public Housing Project mm -hmm. or something of that nature. And that 
went to look at 1,500 public housing dwellings in Victoria and gave them the opportunity to upgrade appliances, for example, to make the properties more energy efficient. Mm -hmm. And we know that some homes through that upgraded their heating to get split-cycle air conditioning systems. So one of the difficulties we have in advocating is that we're not actually sure of how many homes are Mm -hmm. without split systems here. We can get data of how many public housing dwellings there are. The DHHS, Department of Health and Human Services, published that data quarterly, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have estimates, but then to narrow down how many of them have cooling um, or adequate cooling is very difficult. So one way to find out would be to do a freedom of information. We haven't really explored um, that mm-hmm. option at the moment, but... We have, from an advocacy perspective, we've written letters to mm-hmm. the Minister for Housing, Minister for Energy, Environment and Climate Change, and also based on the educational outcomes of the Minister for Education. Mm-hmm. So the Minister for Energy, Environment and Climate Change and the Minister for Education directed us to the Minister for Housing um, as the minister with control over that portfolio. I understand why they did that, but arguably this is about climate change and environment and would also fall within that, just as it would within education. And the difficulty is because it crosses so many jurisdictions, Mm -hmm. you find a lot of passing the ball, so to speak. We haven't received responses actually back from the Minister yet, the Minister for Housing, that is. And we've we've got a great relationship with our local state member here Mm -hmm. who's been very supportive of the campaign to date. She's raised it in Parliament um, a number of times, as has an upper house member here as well. So it's great to have local members in support and hopefully with that we'll come a meeting with the Minister to raise it in person. We've also, I think as Chris mentioned before, we've got great relationships with our peak bodies who have also assisted us in this process. but it's kind of, Chris uses the term a lot, but drip feeding, mm-hmm. so to speak, um, <laughs> to ensure that constantly on their radar in hope that the community support will push it over the line. As I said before, whether that's by way of actual legislative change or whether it's just a more indirect sort of policy change, you know, it's to be seen. But yeah. Are you mobilizing any community members in these efforts? towards campaigning? Yes, sorry, I should have have mentioned that before. So as part of, or Chris is probably better to speak to this, but from what I know, we had a community reference group who Mali Family Care engaged with before the research, as I understand it, and they helped link us to people in the community as well. So we have that reference group, which consisted of local organisations in addition to individuals and national organisations like the Salvos who have branches here. So there is widespread community support for this. Unfortunately, you will always get those people who, you know, use the, well, I didn't have aircon 50 years ago when I was growing up and so why why do these people deserve it? And, you know, that mm-hmm. degenerative train of thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's not really about... Uh, addressing that, it's more just pushing forward with the cause and and noting that it's a, a safety, a health and well-being issue and a human rights issue mm-hmm. um, that everyone should be addressing mm. or focused on. 
Are there any coming inquiries that uh, the state is doing on housing or where you could sort of make submissions? So, as far as I'm aware, not directly. As I mentioned before, there's a homelessness inquiry that's on foot at the moment, both actually federally and at the state level. It doesn't really touch on the adequacy of homes. Mm -hmm. It's more about addressing the issue. Mm -hmm. So, not not really in that regard, but we are doing a budget submission. So this year, Mali Family Care is putting together a document which will outline our priorities because both the state and federal budgets were moved to October. So we're doing a supplementary um, document and this will also be pushed forward in that as well. Wow, it all sounds like really good work and um, look, an issue that affects, you know, everyone, I think, over Australia and in coming years because because like you know like you were saying people say oh well I didn't have air conditioner 50 years ago it wasn't it's not it wasn't as bloody hot like you know it's definitely getting hotter um we've definitely noticed a huge change in the climate in the last couple of years we've had some really inconsistent wet seasons and some really hot dry seasons Mm. yeah so and and we've had recently in the last couple of weeks a huge bout of mosquitoes that have just come oh, through yeah. um, and yeah, wow. and just absolutely, they're everywhere and, you know, usually mosquitoes yeah. are, a, are a wet season thing. So there's definitely like lots of climate environment yeah. changes of, that we're noticing. Yeah, out of sync, isn't it? The weather's out of sync. The yeah. other issue about, or to um, the narrative for people about, well, we, when I was younger, we didn't have one is talking about how the temperature has changed, it's prolonged, but the temperature at night is extreme than when... And the, the, the data is in about that. There's, it's um, a big jump, even from 20 years ago. So the issue around that I try to appease to people when I talk about this is around at least 20 years ago... You could have a good night's sleep, re-energise and recover and then start your day. But people with the extreme heat and the the temperature's not dropping, they're not getting that sort of um, break from it and it's this insidious accumulative effect. Ongoing. Yeah, ongoing. I try not to get into are we in climate change or not because I find that people have really quite polar black and white views about that. Yes, very and I try much so. To talk about, yeah, and they're very hard to shift. So I try to um, use the impact of living in a time when you're not getting reprieve at night and the impact on you, your soul, your your being, in being able to manage life the next day is so much harder. Um, and that seems to work a little if I get a chance to have a discussion with someone. Yeah. Yeah, look, and at the end of the day, sleep is so important. And if you're not, like you said, if you're not having that break to re-energise, then your whole routine is out of whack. And, Mm. yeah. Yeah, look, it's definitely... And and something that's been an issue up here, you know, we've we've got... We hear of lots of things, Mm. uh, people in... And do you want to talk a bit about that, Eliana? You know, some some we've had some people kind of talk a lot about um, needing air conditioner for health issues, oh, yeah. and yeah. So, 
Do you want to talk a little bit? Well, yeah, it's an issue here. I I have been in the Kimberley not very long at all. Like I came in October last year, and uh, I I I am a social worker, so I do a lot of home visits. And okay, um, yeah, the 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 extreme heat that people have to put up with, uh, it, it makes me feel really privileged because I have access to it. Uh, yes. I don't know how people yes. go through. I don't know how people go through a wet season uh, with no air conditioning, and they, they, you know, all the sort of resilience that is shown in your report that people, people sort of demonstrate. They have their own ways to get around it, but mm. uh, you know, they, it's not necessarily sustainable, and people shouldn't sort of live like that. No. Uh, it's it's really it, and especially I work my program. Uh, uh, we we I work with older people. Yeah, I don't think uh, they have to. Uh, for instance, one of my clients, he has very serious medical issues, and he wasn't able to sleep at all. So we tried to. Uh, he had to get a loan to be able to install an air conditioner, and it, it it's one of those uh, really expensive ones to run, the box ones. Mm-hmm. And yeah. now he's obviously having to, you know, uh, pay a lot of money to run it. And with the COVID-19, with the restrictions, people are having to spend more time at home. And he's running that all the time. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. It's, it's very similar to what you describe in, in, in this conversation and to what you describe yeah. in, in, your, in your report. And and another yeah. thing that happens here is overcrowding as well. So many people mm. in small houses. And look, I've got like I, mm. I've got you know one example. A family member had a house um, here in Broome, and it was probably a four bedroom house, but only the lounge room had air conditioning. So and and, yeah. and people would come in from community and and come and stay with my with my family member, and I reckon I would go there and visit, and there would be. I, I reckon 15 people camped up on yeah, s- mattresses yeah. in the lounge room because that was the only cold room in the house. And, you yeah. know, yeah. So 15 yeah, people in, in a lounge room, like, yeah. Yeah. We had someone um, tell us they had 10 sleeping in the lounge room at night. And same thing to Lula. Um, it was a, a room that had some cooling and... Mm. Um, and people told us, how can you turn away your family? You can't. Mm. Yeah, you know, exactly. They felt privileged because mm. they had a cooling environment. And the other interesting thing um, to Eliana is um, how privileged are we as workers? So mm. in Victoria, we have a WH work health and safety policy. Mm. So if it's over 37 here in Victoria our workers have to check if they're going to do a home visit mm-hmm. and those people don't have air conditioning, um, they're asked to consider to look at some other way of meeting the family because wow. of the health and safety of our staff. So it's recognised for the workers but not recognised for yeah. the clients. And it something really similar right. happens here as well in that for a, usually government workers who come up here, uh, they might get uh, housing as well. And their housing yeah. has, there is policy on this, their housing has air conditioning. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and the government, yeah, yeah. The government uh, 
you know, installs the air conditioning and the government yes. gives them a subsidy, subsidy yeah. to pay for it. Mm. Yes. But for the most and disadvantaged people here, who are yes. you, the people we work with, they, they, they don't get any of these sort of subsidies or, or assistance. Mm. No, yeah. exactly right, exactly right. Yeah, look, they're very similar. That yeah, it's horrible. Uh, yeah, look. So I think I think this has been a, a serious, a really interesting discussion, and um, I wanted to thank you both for joining us on the show. And um, this is definitely a topic that's really relevant to us up here. You know, we live in in what one of the most extreme climates in Australia: humidity and heat. And um, look, it's just it's so difficult. And um, you know, we, we deal with a lot of clients who are very frail. You know, have all kinds of mental health and physical health issues. Um, so it's so important. And and look, this is a discussion that Eliana and I have had for months and then when we discovered yeah. your report we just went wow this is this is really cool this is something that we hopefully can jump on and and work towards for our people up here so yeah look, and thank you for all of the work you've done and yeah. and look you know it's, it is an emotional thing and being the voice for these people you know people shouldn't have to survive like that they shouldn't have to just no, cope with that exactly it's that's just, exactly right yeah and, and, yeah, it does. It makes you think how lucky we are. Like, you know, I'm really lucky oh, in my house to be able to. Yeah. yeah. So, so thank you guys so much for joining oh, us on no, the show. That's fine. Thank, thank you. you for giving it. <laughs> yeah, no, no problems. And, look, I wish you all the best for um, lobbying and, um, mm. you know, all of your policy and the next steps. Um, we, yeah, we'll yeah. keep an eye uh, uh, on it because that's a way of us teaching others uh, how to get it done. Yes, that's uh, right. And I exactly. think you are, you, what you're doing is really novel. The report that you produce is, uh, yes. is really important, especially, I think, because of the methods that you used. You took the people's narratives. Yes. And um, I think it's, it's really easy to read. It's really accessible. And all yes. the loving that you're doing is, is great. So we, we'll, we'll, we'll look forward to learning from, from all your lessons. Yeah, and maybe yeah. maybe in six months or so we can do a follow up show and see how how everything's sure. kind of happened for you. I think that would be really interesting. Great things for everybody. Yeah, we've got we've got a couple of strategies we're we're planning on for later. So um, it, it is a watch this space. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. All yeah. right. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much, you and so we'll much. chat soon. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Bye. So that was all for our show this fortnight. Uh, thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you next time.